The Art of Parenting. I don't want to go to bed. I went to bed last night. Is knowing when to say yes. Look what we got, Mom. Knowing when to say no. And when to walk the dog. Just mark that spot. Oh, well, I'll do it again tomorrow. John Travolta, Kirstie Alley, with the voices of Danny DeVito and Diane Keaton. Showing. They like each other. Mongrel. Ah, put a sock in it. Look who's talking now. Rated PG-13. Welcome to Unloved Sequels, the podcast that brings you a blow-by-blow critique of Hollywood's worst-rated sequels. You know, the ones that some people think should never have been made. We're your hosts, Michael, say hello. Hello. And I'm Claire. In this episode, we're celebrating Christmas the only way we know how, by crashing a car in the middle of nowhere, only to get chased by a pack of wolves and rescued by the local constabulary, all in the name of stopping our partner from having a festive frolic with a classic 90s rich bitch. Michael, what's the movie? Now that Mikey and Julie have found their voices, it takes the four-legged members of the family to keep this franchise going. This is Look Who's Talking Now! Yeah! Hey. Oh, my voice went all squeaky. I was so excited. excited. My voice went squeaky there. <laughs> Goodness me. I didn't Even I didn't know I was that excited for this movie. I know. So this is another episode that we did not pick ourselves. Well, we did kind of pick it because we did Look Who's Talking to at the beginning of this year. It was our first episode yes. of 2023. And so, you did say in that episode, maybe we'll come back to it at Christmas. And clearly someone was listening. Yes, they did. So we're going to have a little listen to someone from London called Janine. In the mailbag of unlocked sequels, hidden gems we find. Transforming shit to treasures, leaving the movie behind. Hi Claire and Michael, I really enjoyed your Look Who's Talking To episode at the beginning of the year. I was just wondering if you were going to cover Look Who's Talking Now this Christmas. Thanks so much, love from Janine in London. Thank you for the reminder about this movie Janine. So yes, as promised, we are back with the Look Who's Talking franchise for the third instalment. Michael, tell us all about it. So, Look Who's Talking Now opened on the 5th of November 1993 in the US, but released in the UK on May the 27th, 1994. What? <laughs> yes, people, this is a Christmas Why movie released in May. Don't know. It's like having a, a Halloween movie come out in the summer or, you know, like, mm. oh, just don't get it. Don't yeah. get it. Don't get it. People, what are you doing? Obviously, they just want to reuse reels for this tape. This They had no... This was just a cash grab. Um, yeah. So, yes, that was it. There is no worldwide figures for this movie because, obviously, people got bored after how domestic box office was such a bomb that no one bothered recording how yeah. it performed elsewhere. So it had a domestic- presumably, no one went to see it anywhere else in the world because it was May and yes. it's a Christmas movie. Yes. Mm, yes. <laughs> it had a domestic box office of... 10172000 against a budget of $22 million. So that's mm. pretty much a big box office flop. So yeah. for comparison, Look Who's Talking took $140 million domestically against a budget of 7.5. Look Who's Talking 2 mm. took $48 million domestically, 
but we have no budget available for that film. But I imagine it being between the first and the third one. I think we said that on our looking yeah. episode as well. Um, because obviously the cast grew by then and they expected more. There was quite a lot of animatronics in two, wasn't there? Yeah, and puppetry. We just there was some puppetry episode. and stuff. Guys, if you're so really I guess interested, we didn't have in this. No, guys, if you're really interested what we thought about Look Who's Talking To, you can go back and find that episode. And you can. You can. I think it was our first episode of the year, isn't it? We've got a nice yeah. little bookend situation going on. We do, we do. So, the top 10 grossing movies of 1993. At number 10, we have A Few Good Men. At number 9, mm-hmm. we have Cliffhanger. At number 8, we have Aladdin. At number 7, In the Line of Fire. At number six, we have Indecent Proposal. At number five, we had Mrs. Doubtfire. At number four, we have Sleepless in Seattle. Number three is Tom Cruise's The Firm. And number two, we have The Fugitive. And at number one, we have Jurassic Park. Now, that's a domestic grossing top ten. But I think that would also reflect what it was in the world because they were 10 massive movies that year that took control of everything. Now, look who's talking now. Um, ended theatrical run at 116 a domestic box office chart, just behind Robocop 3. That came out the Ouch. same day. So, yeah, it came out opposite uh, Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid movie called Flesh and Bone. Even Robocop 3 underperformed. You know, I think, yeah. everybody, you know. Didn't it come out around the same time as The Nightmare Before Christmas as well? Nightmare Before that somewhere. Yeah, so Nightmare Before Christmas came out before, a couple of weeks before this did, I think, just before mm. before Halloween. And the week this came out, Nightmare Before Christmas was at the number one spot. Yeah, but even that underperformed what it was. Even Disney disowned yeah. it back then because that was released underneath uh, Touchstone. Disney didn't want their name on it because they thought it was too yes. dark. Yes. So in the last like ten years, I think Disney's decided that they like it and started repackaging mm-hmm. it as a Walt Disney film. But they used yes. to release bring out all the merch. Yes. For the generation so who are merch. now parents. So yeah, so that was yeah. the biggest grossing film of that weekend, the weekend this came out, but it didn't get released opposite it. So a right. few other famous movies that came out that year were Hold On to Your Knickers Claire. Oh. Free Willy, Groundhog Day, Dave, Rising Sun, Scent of a Woman, Cool Runnings, Demolition Man. Dennis and Menace, Nightmare Before Christmas, The Adam's Family Values, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Part 3, The Beverly Hillbillies, Hocus Pocus, Falling Down, Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, and just mentioning this movie solely for you, Claire, Kenneth Branagh's Much To Do About Nothing. Love that movie. I might be the only one. I remember <laughs> my... I managed to get my parents to take me to see it. And I was that nerdy kid. You remember all these movies we talked about from the mid nineties. And I've gone, yeah. no, I never saw it. Cause we didn't really go to the cinema then. <laughs> I got my parents. So the one movie I got my parents to take me to see in 1993 was Kenneth Branagh's much to do about nothing. And my dad yeah. fell asleep Shakespeare in the cinema at 12, <laughs> at 13, 13 years old, 13, yeah. you would have been, I would have been 12, but 13 you were going yeah. let's go see Shakespeare yeah your parents I was that kid I still am that kid <laughs> I love it I, I know I I know people don't rate that movie but I love it mm, yes no I'm not a fan uh here's a weird fact so Cool Runnings was released on October the 1st and had a steady decline each week and each weekend up until the release of Look Who's Talking Now 
And on the weekend of Look Who's Talking Now, it had a 14.7% increase in ticket sales. People had rather gone to see a month-old movie than gone to watch this. It had an increase in ticket sales wow. on the release of this movie. Yeah, steady increase. And suddenly That's this film came weird. out. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, the cool runnings must have thought, oh, here's a comedy. Let's run a campaign opposite this comedy to try and get people to go and watch Cool Running because mm. obviously people chose to go and see Cool Runnings over Look Who's Talking Now. So that's weird. So it currently sits at 723 in the all time domestic sequel box office, just behind Claire's other favorite 90s movie, Return to Oz. Oh my God. How many times has that film no. come out in our conversations? I know this is the universe is telling us to do it. It's not happening. I don't care. <laughs> Fuck you, universe. We're not doing it. We'll be on, we'll be on we'll be on series twenty, series twenty two, and we'll be in our kind of like mid to late sixties. And Claire will be like, "All right, you can cover it now." But no, no, I won't. Get... <laughs> I won't. <laughs> I won't. <sighs> Typical. Okay, Rotten Tomato score critics is zero percent. An audience is 29%. What I really think is criminal for this film. Outraged. Outraged. <laughs> I am outraged. So, Claire, do you have any behind-the-scenes yes. stuff for us? Well, I do. There's not a huge amount of information to be found on this movie. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether that's... I guess it's that thing of it's. it was the early 90s, so people... The internet didn't exist for people to geek out about movies in the way that we do back yeah. then and i guess this isn't a movie that made enough impact that once the internet existed movie nerds were like oh let's get all the information about this movie onto the internet because no one cares except yes. us i no. think is what's happened here because that information just can't be found but i do have my usual roundup of casting creative team and a let's couple of and bobs that i found out along the way so returning cast we have got our two leads back We've got John Travolta back as James and Kirstie Alley as Molly. We've got Olympia Dukakis, wonderful Olympia Dukakis, back as Rosie, who is Molly's mum. Yep. We've got um, a little cameo from George Siegel as Albert, who uh, viewers of the whole franchise will remember was Molly's boss in the first instalment and is also Mikey's biological father. Twink Kaplan who played the best friend Rona in the first two movies. Yeah. And uh, Elias Koteas, who was Molly's brother in the second film, both declined to be in the third film, which is a shame for me, but neither of them wanted to be in it. So those characters I think it's a relief. They were absent. annoying as fuck in the sequel. They were the one thing I did oh, not Oh, yeah, like to be fair, sequel. in the sequel, yes. I loved Twin Kaplan in the first movie. Poorly used in the second one. And yes, so maybe because of that, I don't know. But they both declined to be in this installment so those characters do not appear they're not even mentioned i think they're just yeah completely dead to the production in terms of new cast obviously we've got another recast for mikey because the ages of the children has changed uh not entirely in line with the amount of time that's passed in real life i think but also right. the the kids that played mikey in the previous installment i seem to recall did not have not performed in anything else since it was yeah. their only ever acting gig uh mm. so we now have david gallagher playing mikey we've got tabitha lupian as julie we have lizette anthony coming in as samantha who is james's boss in the movie yep. we've got danny devito doing the voice of rocks the dog we've got diane keaton as the voice of daphne the dog there is one other recast 
which is a fairly minor one, but I'm going to mention it because I, I remember after we watched it, you said to me, I think they might have recast Molly's dad, but I'm not quite sure because he's he's a fairly minor character in all of the films. Yeah, he's usually the background. But you were a bit like, oh, I don't even think it's the same dad. You're right. It's not the same dad. So in this movie, Molly's dad is played by Campbell Lane and he's actually credited as Molly's dad. In the previous two movies, he was he had a name. He was called Lou, and he was played by Louis Heckling, who is the father of Amy Heckling, who wrote and directed the first two movies. She yeah. did not write or direct this movie. No, no. Uh, and so her father, maybe not. I don't know about so, but simultaneously, her father is not in this movie playing yeah. Molly's father. Mm-hmm. We also have the cutest little cameo. Would you call it? At the end of the movie, um, in Europe, uh, certainly, I don't, I don't know if it exists in the American version, um, but over the end credits, there's a really weird music video by uh, a French child star called Jordi, who yeah. uh, performs a song called "It's Christmas, C'est Noël," um, from his uh, Christmas album that he released around the same time. I don't know why the UK audience got the Christmas song over the credits yeah. for the movie being released in May, and the US audience. Who got the Christmas yeah, release? I was did really not get the Christmas song. Because I remember having this movie on VHS because I had the other two, and I, when I was younger, and that used to pop, and I think it was weird, but I loved it. It's very catchy. And mm. when I when, when we, I went back to watch this to re- make notes on the podcast and to refresh, shall we say, the one thing I was looking forward to was the really music video at the end of the movie credits. And to my behold, there's fuck all music videos in the US. And I was like, I'm sorry. So I said to Claire, I said, if you watch it, she's like, no. I said, when you watch it, there used to be a music video. I'll send you the link. I found it on YouTube. But imagine that being at the end of the credits in the cinema. And uh, when Claire watched it, she was like, I have a music video. And she watched it on my cloud. So I watched it on my cloud and there was There's no absolutely music- no password sharing going on here. No, not at all. <laughs> a lot of password sharing. But... Shit. But you know, what I mean, no, she's um, yeah. But I guess because recently, I was watching in Europe, somehow I ended up with, with a video. random video. It's, I mean, it's weird and brilliant. So it's for anyone who hasn't watched it, go find it on YouTube. We'll try and remember to put the link in the comments for the yes. For the I have the link here because <laughs> everyone should watch it. Um, maybe it's watch so it good. sober for the sake of your own sanity. Um, but the the video features the cast of the movie. Is the point. Yes. Um, it's got the two kids in it with Geordie and they're like inside a doll's house. The kids are, are inside the doll's house. It's and a bit then, trippy. It's really trippy. Uh, this you... is why I'm saying watch it watch it sober. Uh, Kirstie Alley and John Travolta are then looking in through the windows But they of wake the doll's up and randomly start panically wrapping gifts, like panic wrapping gifts. And then John Travolta looks through the window of the dollhouse. Because before that scene, you don't know they're in the dollhouse. You just think they're in the house. No. And then John Travolta wakes up. It's and really... <laughs> Really and then John Travolta wakes up and he's like, what's that noise? And he looks through the window of the doorhouse and there's his kids as miniatures. Oh, it's our kids shrunken down to the size of dolls. Nothing weird about this. Dancing and singing with some random French kid. Yeah. So, what makes me weird because Brilliant. I then wondered if, when we discussed it, whether Canada got that music video because that would be the audience for that kid would be more than the whole of Europe. Wouldn't you, you think like French Canadians? You, you, well, maybe. Maybe. I'm but confused. I'm very confused. I don't know. But yeah. I don't know. But I do love it. Anyway. Yes, it's brilliant. 
the movie's directed by Tom Rapalowski. Uh, he has very few other directing credits. He's only got four other movies. No, I beg your pardon. He's got four movies, including this one. Three other movies. Um, yes. I haven't heard of any of them. So he's yes, not a have. prolific director. You have? Have I? One of them you have seen. Have I? I'm going to have to go back to the IMDb page now. and Because I looked. So I was like, I don't know any of this. Let me the have next best look. thing? Where are you? No, no, no. He didn't direct that. He wrote it. Oh, okay. He wrote it, but he didn't direct the next best thing. Yes. So as he is also one of the writers on this movie um, alongside Leslie Dixon. So we have another real life married couple writing yes. on this movie. So the previous two installments were written by uh, Amy Heckling and her then husband. Neither of them is involved in the writing of this movie, but they have been replaced as writers by another married couple. Uh, so Tom Rapolowski and Leslie Dixon. So Tom Rapolowski did write the next best thing. Amongst other things. So that's um, a Madonna Leslie... and Rupert Everett movie, because nobody wants to know what that movie is. It's not a very good movie, but it's quite entertaining. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, I was about to protest you saying it's not a very good movie, and then I was like, you know what, I, I don't have the energy to fight that fight. Maybe it's not. I haven't seen it for a long time. I'm oh, I watched gonna... it a month ago with David. This is not a hill I'm going to die on. No, no, it's not <laughs> um, worth it. Leslie Dixon's writing credits, Outrageous Fortune, 1987, Overboard, oh. 1987, and also then a, a credit because of the remake. Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, The Thomas yes. Crown Affair, Pay It Forward, Freaky Friday, Hairspray, Limitless, quite extensive. And there is a credit for Amy Heckling because obviously it is her characters. But to the best of my knowledge, she did not actively write on this no. movie. The music is by William Ross. He's had quite an extensive career as both a composer and uh, an orchestrator and or conductor um, mm -hmm. and producers. Now, I was trying to look up um, how this movie got made. Who yeah. was it that went after, what, three years, I think, after the second installment, went, let's make another one yeah. with a completely different writer-director team. So clearly it wasn't driven by her. I can't see the studio having pushed that hard for it after the performance of the second movie. I no, don't but we also, like... once again, I think we're in that era of home entertainment being a massive factor. And though it probably underperformed at box office, I imagine them movies performing quite well on home release. Um, Maybe. Early Maybe. 90s, late early 90s, look who's talking to you, did very well on the blockbuster. Could well have done. So one thing I discovered while I was researching all of this and trying to find out anything about how this movie came into existence is that one of the producers on this movie was Jonathan D. Crane. He also produced the first two movies in the franchise, but yep. he's also best known in Hollywood for having been John Travolta's manager from 1987 till 2002. Oh, that seems to be um, <laughs> a factor, doesn't it? Um, and we did talk in the last episode that we did about Lucky's Talking to the fact that he was John Travolta was in a bit of a career slump, even when he before Lucky's Talking, because it was the post kind of Saturday Night Fever Greece era. Yeah. And he was in a bit of a, a slump. And so uh, Lucky's Talking kind of bolstered that a little bit, but then it slumped down again. And actually not long after Lucky's Talking now, because mm. that was 1993, 1994, I think, was Pulp Fiction, yeah, which is kind of what put him back in the kind of movie going yeah. consciousness a little bit more, took him out of that slump a bit. John Travolta's manager was producer uh, on all three films in the franchise. Um. Um, 
Also producing credits for Rebecca Batts, associate producer, Fitch Cady, co-producer, Leslie Dixon, one of our writers as executive producer, and Amy Heckling as co-producer. Oh. That is her one credit on this movie. I don't know how actively she was involved, but she's credited as co-producer rather than executive. Usually when they're kind of trying to sweeten up someone who's been previously in st- involved in in a franchise and maybe isn't actively involved anymore, they kind of go, oh, we'll, we'll call you executive producer. You don't have to do anything. You just here's a check. But she's credited as co-producer rather than executive producer. So that suggests to me that she was a bit more actively involved, but not in the kind of uh, script or directing sense as she had been in the first two movies. Mm. And like I say, in terms of production information, that's basically all I've been able to find out. I do have a few alternative castings for you. Um, Olivia Newton-John was considered for the role of Samantha. Oh my think, God! Would have been amazing. Can you imagine that would have made can more you money. Imagine that would have made um, more money. Unfortunately, this this was during one of her battles with breast cancer, so she wasn't available to be in the movie. But mm. can you imagine the gay yeah. panic if oh, she yeah. had been in this movie? But also, I think everybody would just run to see it just to see that chemistry. Yes, you had both chemistry absolutely. And, yeah, and it maybe it would have. Maybe it would have made the character a bit more rounded because she had, I mean, you know, Kirstie Alley and John Travolta's chemistry is completely on point in all three movies, but we've seen the chemistry with John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John in Greece. And so yeah. that could have been a really interesting dynamic. Yes. Um, I've also got a few possible alternative castings for the voice of Daphne. There were quite a few um, people considered that, that that information has been released into the public domain. Uh, Nicole Kidman, Candice Bergen, Sarah Jessica Parker, Bette Midler, Kathy Najimy. Did you say this was the same year as Hocus Pocus? Yes. Hmm. So maybe those three were all busy. I just it just suddenly struck me as I was saying it. Oh, so yeah, so Kathy Najimy was probably quite busy that year. It just occurred to me as I was reading them out. Yeah. One after the other, I was like, actually, those three were all in a different movie that year. Yes. So maybe. And I don't. This would just be there. It'd be Bette Midler's second flop of the year. Because like Hocus Pocus flopped, and it'd be Kathy mm-hmm. Najimy's third flop of the year because Sister Act two flopped. Yes. yes. How many box office failures do they want to attach to their names? No. Yes. So yeah, there were quite a few um, alternative options for Daphne, but I like Diane Keaton. I think she's fantastic. Daphne. I think she's great. She is. She is. So, what else do you like in this movie? I'm done now. I'm ready to move on to talking about the movie. Okay. Um, what do I like or dislike? Do I what do I like? Yeah. Everything. I fucking love this film. <laughs> Brilliant. End recording. Cut. Yeah. <laughs> See you next time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love this film. And I think it's got a lot of set. Now I liked it when it first came out, but I actually have a very more love for it now. And surprisingly so, because I thought I'd go into it after revisiting one and two and finding two a little bit more disappointing than I remember it being when I saw that when I was young. Mm. I thought I'd feel the same way about this movie. Um, Out of all three movies, I feel like this one has aged better than the other ones. I think compared to kind of like relationship-wise, and I think it's... And I also think where we're exposed to now, 90% of Christmas movies that come out now are streaming movies. And this fits yes. very well as a streaming movie. I don't know how it would have felt mm-hmm. in the cinema, but it feels like a really good streaming movie. And yes. you can stream it now, so it can be a streaming movie. I think it's great. I think the cast is great. I think their relationships are great. I think there's 
I believe their relationship more in you know, John Travolta and Kirstie Alley's relationship more in this movie than I did in the other two. The other two, I'd be like, oh my God, you two irritate each other. Why are you with each other so much? Mm-hmm. And then this one, I actually do believe they're in love. And I feel yeah. the chemistry quite, you know, strong between the false is strong with them. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just love it. I think the kid actors are fantastic. Uh, did remind me of your household quite a lot. Um, I watched bits of it. Yes, right. one of my notes is that I think I've written like the me- this movie's been on for three minutes and I'm triggered already. <laughs> that <laughs> opening sequence where the kids are running around with their bubbly butts hanging out and <laughs> oh, she's in my room. Oh, he looked at me. Oh, Mum, I want a story. Oh, I want to just go to bed and then they get the kids to bed and they go to their room and they sit down and he tries to get fresh with her and she's like are you for real <laughs> and then she would got quite into that idea and then i was like no this is the point at which i don't relate anymore <laughs> this is the point of disbelief even though they're talking dogs <laughs> yeah yeah, oh, yeah no, the that's fine. no it's the bit where she goes yeah let's have sex and i'm like no this is not realistic anymore <laughs> yeah but you're not married to john travolta but john travolta back then was hot that's true that is true i'm not married to john travolta <laughs> Not married to John. Travolta. No, but no, I there's not much I dislike about this film. I love the fact that it's moved on to the dogs. I'm a massive dog person. I love the way these dogs, the the voices and the characters and the soul they souls they've given this dog. So Danny DeVito as rocks is fantastic. Like if you're looking at a scruffy dog, he sounds like John Danny DeVito to me. Yeah, that's that's a master. Yeah. And, the prissy poodle that lets down her guard towards the end. No one better than Diane Keaton can do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just, that. you know what? I don't think there's much. It's a very simple storyline. You can turn off your brain. It's really Christmassy. It's just, it's just very cute. And the relationship between the kids and the parents is very realistic and the ta- dog training, yeah. potty training a dog and stuff. All of it is very relatable. More so than yes. the other movies. It doesn't feel yes. overstuffed. It feels quite realistic that these things are going on. Mm. And, you know, th- I, th- there's nothing I dislike about this movie. There's nothing There's nothing to be offended by this movie. It's just a great Christmas movie that you've got. It's a bit like when you get your favourite artist and they released a Christmas album. You think to mm-hmm. yourself, why the fuck are they releasing a Christmas album? But then you listen to the Christmas album and go, this is shit. But so I'm going to play it every year for the next 20 years at Christmas time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel about this movie. I understand why people don't like it. But I'm still going to watch it every year from now on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, I agree with you. What did you dislike or like about the movie? So I agree with pretty much everything you've just been saying. I think, I think the thing with this movie is that it like you were saying the other movies felt a little bit overstuffed at times and one of the things that we criticized when we talked about Lucas talking to at the beginning of the year was that there were so many storylines and subplots and it was very complicated and it didn't all tie together very well yeah. and they've simplified it right back down for this movie it's much more streamlined it makes a lot more sense it's much more cohesive we've got a lot more John Travolta and Kirstie Alley on screen together, even yeah. though actually for a lot of the movie, the characters are physically separate. They have that amazing dream sequence. Oh my God, it's amazing. <laughs> Bloody it's so love that good. dream sequence. It's fantastic. It's but it great. really shows them off as a pairing. Yes, that's big time. And I love that. Nice to see George Siegel back. 
as Albert in that scene. I agree with you about the kids, particularly Tabitha Lupian, her face, her ah. facial expressions in this movie. <laughs> I mean, this is an audio media, so no one other than me saw the face that Michael just pulled. But if you've seen the movie, just from that sound, you will know the face that he was pulling because it, it she does it so perfectly. I agree the voice acting is great from Danny DeVito and Diane Keaton. There were a couple of things that I could see improvement for I wouldn't go as far as okay. necessarily say I don't like um but I think things that could have been improved I I do miss Twink Kaplan I think um Nora was I don't know she wasn't missing yeah because it wasn't until I read that she hadn't been in it that I was like oh yeah she was great I liked her yeah so she didn't feel missing from the movie I don't know where they would have fit her into this storyline no. so I'm glad they didn't crowbar her in but at the same time I I enjoyed Twink Kaplan's performance particularly in the first movie less so in the second movie because they made her a bit of a shit character in the second movie yeah but the the first movie I really enjoyed her so I would have quite enjoyed seeing her again in mm -hmm. this movie I I get that the basic premise is becoming a little bit flimsy by the time we've moved on to it being dogs rather than babies who are talking I get that we're kind of stretching the possibilities of that oh yeah premise. big time but actually I, I don't think that is the premise anymore I think John Travolta and Kirstie Alley are the premise of the movie and that's just oh, the device for yeah. tying it together. So it, it doesn't bother me, but I, I recognise, because that's one of the criticisms that some people have for this movie, that, that it is getting a little bit wafer thin by this stage. Yeah. The one thing I, I wish they had spent a bit more time on is the character of Samantha. She's a little bit two-dimensional. When I say a little bit, she is flat as a pancake. Yeah, um, but she's this just is not... there, as, as your favourite word, I'm a gubbin to get from one point to the other point. It's like she's yes, she. I mean, she is. She is just Travis. She's just a plot a, device. Yeah, she is. But I think they could have made her more than that. She she is just this kind of wannabe homewrecker, femme fatale, '90s, rich bitchy kind. You know, it, she she fulfills the role that she's there to do. Yeah, but given that. You were like, as you were saying, it's the rest of the characters is so relatable. Yeah, James and Molly are so relatable. Uh, Rosie, Olympia Dukakis's character, is so relatable. Even the kids, um, mm. and they've really pared the cast down in this movie compared to the second instalment. Yeah. Um, maybe if we'd seen a bit more investment in that character and a bit more, maybe of a reason why she's the way she is. I don't know. Maybe it would have taken us away from the main story a bit too much. Maybe that's why they didn't. But it. It struck me that everyone else in this movie is very well-rounded yeah. and she is the left as is a very two-dimensional. The only thing I thought that at one point that her character could have tried to befriend Molly and then, but then that would just be double heartbreaking for Molly because she's kind of like going through this journey in this movie by herself, by losing her job and then got these two mm. new dogs and then to give her a friend that she tries to get close to and then that friend tries to steal her husband. I think that'd be a little bit too much for that character. Yes, yes. I think that's not this movie. Like you say, this no. is a, a like a warm, cosy movie. Isn't and also, it? I, th I also think this Christmas all blanket. The, I also think that out of all the um, all three films in the franchise, this one they're really trying to aim more for a family viewing entertainment than the first two. The first two are a little bit yes. at times, while this one is. Well, the first two I had forgotten until I kind of recap them for myself for this the first two movies she says fuck in both movies yeah 
She doesn't in this. And it's no coincidence that she doesn't give birth in this movie and she doesn't say fuck in this movie. I think it's during the two birth scenes that she uses that word both yeah. times in the previous two movies. I but obviously for that reason, to... you can't really watch it with younger kids. No, but I think they've also tried to... I think they've sat down and gone, right, the first two movies were, were made for people in their 20s to 30s who are starting a family. And then they've made a film Absolutely. that by that point that they think the people in the the viewers of the first two movies have now have kids as well. And they now made a family movie. I don't know how Absolutely. it was marketed and they should have marketed it, marketed it towards that. Even like putting the music video at, at the end of the credits, faintly aiming for a more of a family market for this movie. Yeah. What's a sure. bit strange because the first two movies aren't aimed at kids, they're aimed at adults sort of starting a family. Yeah. Yeah. But it, you're right. It's a much more accessible, family-friendly movie. And it is one, like you say, I think this is going to become part of my regular Christmas movie yeah. schedule now. And I think a lot of people... I've seen much worse Christmas oh, movies than this one. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have forgotten this film exists. I think a lot of people are aware that Look Who's Talking 1 and 2 exist. I just think people yeah. have forgotten this exists or have never For watched sure. it. I, I mean, I I hadn't forgotten it existed, but I had completely forgotten it was a Christmas movie. Yeah. And I'm sure I had seen it before. I'm sure and, I had seen it before. And they could repackage this now, and they should do, with the passing of Kirstie Alley, they should repackage it as a Christmas movie. Yeah, I don't understand. Like, there are various Christmas movies, and some of them are shit, that mm. come out onto streaming. Maybe there is, hasn't been a streaming arrangement struck yeah. for these movies maybe that's what it is um because it's tristar isn't it i don't know yeah where they tend to send their movies for streaming sony but sony if you go to netflix. given the shit that comes okay i mean given that i mean well netflix christmas movies fuck me there's some shit there yeah, excuse there my language but it you know there are I some terms that come on. onto my netflix list every year they could put the box set of these three movies on yeah and I would be very happy with that. And I'm sure plenty but of people Even the Look be. Who's Talking 2, we discussed this when we were recording Look Who's Talking 2 episode. The ending of that is Christmas as well, wasn't it? Wasn't yes. it? Was, I feel like it was Christmas as well at the end of Look Who's Talking 2. I don't remember. I don't remember. Maybe I'm wrong. But I remember discussing with you, oh, this has got Christmas in it. I didn't realise when we chose it. We... I don't recall. I must confess, I didn't rewatch Look Who's Talking Two before watching Look Who's Talking Now for this episode because it's not, you know, it's only it's less than a year since we watched Look Who's Talking yeah. Two, but I don't remember that particular detail. But yeah, I think they could. This could totally be packaged as a one. Like once, it can't cost very much to put this onto streaming. Yeah, the rights you, cannot be expensive, and you don't need to see the other two movies in the franchise to get this movie. Like you, you, no. you don't. No, it's completely a standalone movie. They should just bung this on Netflix. I think people would be like, oh, Kirstie Alley or John Travolta. I think people would go, I haven't seen that film in years. And I think people would enjoy it. I do think people would enjoy it. It's really heartwarming. Yeah. It's very cute. It's very, has a great Christmas moral and a great Christmas movie overall. Agreed. So, Claire, taking that all into consideration, how many opinionated dogs would you give Look Who's Talking Now? I'm going to give it four out of five. <gasps> I'm going high on this. You're Look, going high. I'm going high. I really enjoyed watching the movie. Yeah. It's, I'm not sure it's as good as the original. I know when we were talking about this after we watched, you you were wondering if you prefer it to, to both of the other movies. I'm not sure yeah. I prefer it to the first one. I definitely prefer it to the second movie. There are a lot of crap 
rom-com sequels out there. There are a lot of crap Christmas movies out there. Mm. I don't think this is either of those things. Yeah. So it, I, I, I don't understand the hate for this movie. No, I, not at all. I can see that objectively it might not be, you know, it's not Citizen Kane, but it's not trying to be. And you've got the first two movies. They're a pre- they give you a pretty decent steer of where the third movie might be heading. If you didn't yes. enjoy the first two movies, just don't watch this. You're not going to yes. like it. And if you liked the first two movies, there's no reason not to like this movie because it's just more of the same. Yes, but it is packaged in a different enough way that it doesn't feel too repetitive for me. No. Um, so all this zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes can get in the sea. I don't know what these people get are in doing. the sea. They can get yeah. I'm not having it. It's not It's not fair, goddammit. This is a no. decent movie. Four out of five. Screw you, Rotten Tomatoes. How about you? Well, for me, I'm going to give it 3.5 opinionated dogs out of five. Um, just in the scale of where I see these movies, um, I really can't give a rom-com or a comedy above four because I don't see as much artwork goes into them. But they, are, they make oh, me such laugh. such a snob. I know, I know. I can't beat that. But this is my favourite Look Who's Talking movie. After visiting them over the last 12 months, I can tell you that I had such a better time with this third one than I had with the other two. It's great fun. It's got a great comical cast, you know, and I just don't think they make like rom-coms like this anymore, especially movies of this quality that need to go into the movie theatre. Most of them are streaming movies Mm. now. And if you're looking for something to go down memory lane for Christmas this year, I highly recommend you download, find whatever. It's probably on one of the streaming services out there. Um, yeah, go and watch Look Who's Talking Now and let's try to make this a seasonal movie again. So that's Look Who's Talking Now for you. Listeners, please take a moment to rate us and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes and tell us what you thought of the movie. You can leave us a comment, you can email us on unlovedsequels at gmail.com and you can find us on all the socials at unlovedsequels. So guys, this is our last episode of the season. We'll be back next year with a whole new collection of unloved sequels. But until then, have a great Christmas and a happy new year. And it's goodbye from me, Michael. And from me, Claire. Take care, guys. Bye. I'm Daffy. It's Daphne, you tick magnet. Sheesh, like you never sniffed a butt.